Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and today on this special episode, we're going to dive into a few things. I'm going to talk about uh, the shadow, being able to work with our darkness, and and where we where we can begin, why we should start to work with our shadow, why it's absolutely necessary for change. And in fact, most of us can't create lasting change in our life because of our shadow. So I'm going to explain what the shadow is, and I'm going to go into how to begin to work with it. And I'm going to go into a, a few other topics here on this episode, in, including how to roll with the punches. And that'll make more sense here in a minute uh, when I unpack that. But first, I wanted to just make a quick announcement. Uh, guys, definitely head on over to the Facebook page and uh, join the Man Talks community on there. Uh, we've got some great conversations going on uh, in there about fatherhood, fitness, health, wellness, finances, you name it, some great conversations. And and for all of those who are curious and interested in doing uh, some deeper work uh, with me and, and with a group of guys, uh, you should definitely check out the Men's Weekend. And we've got uh, one in August that's filling up very quickly. And we just announced one on the East Coast uh, that is filling up very fast. So whether it's for one of those weekends or you want to attend one of our weekends in the future, uh, definitely sign up now because we have spots, a few spots open uh, in both the East Coast and the West Coast, but they are filling up fast. They're going to be sold out soon. And we would love to have you be a part of that. Where do we want to start today? Well, first and foremost, um, you'll notice recently that I have been talking more and more about psychedelics. And you'll you'll also notice more and more that things like ay- ayahuasca and uh, you know psilocybin have been coming up on the podcast. And this is something that I've been talking about in the Man Talks community as well. Uh, it's something that I've been talking about online for a little bit, uh, but it's going to become much more of a prominent piece and, and figure piece around the conversations, uh, some of the conversations that I have on this show. And uh, next month, I'm actually going to be journeying down to Costa Rica for a week. And during that time, I will be experimenting and interviewing and uh, experiencing ayahuasca uh, for the first time. And it's going to be a very interesting journey for those of you who have explored in that realm before. And for those of you who haven't, uh, I hope that you join the uh, join the journey with uh, with an open mind and some curiosity. And I've actually been hesitant to start to share these pieces on the platform and openly talk about uh, you know using things like psychedelic uh, psychedelics, things like psilocybin, and uh, going to experiment with ayahuasca for a number of reasons. Mostly, you know, because in uh, the United States, these things are largely not legal. And so talking about them can, you know, put you at a little bit of risk. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of interesting because there's so many gray zones. Like you'll, you'll notice in Oakland, uh, in Oakland, California, they they were legalized but not decriminalized recently. In Denver, the same thing. Uh, in most Canadian provinces, you can actually grow uh, psilocybin, you can actually grow psychedelic mushrooms, <laughs> which seems a little... So here's here's the catch though. You can grow it, but you can't uh, legally or technically consume it and you can't sell it. And so it's kind of a really weird gray zone where governments uh, you know, are sort of starting to recognize that there are there's a lot of social pressure to legalize these substances. And there's a lot of research that's coming out. If you've read books like Stephen Kotler's Stealing Fire 
or if you've read Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind, uh, which, you know, if you're curious on these topics, I would definitely recommend to pick those books up. Um, I'm in the works of trying to get both of those gentlemen on the show uh, because it'd be a very interesting conversation to have. But, you know, there's a lot of research that's coming out that that not only do these uh, substances, do these these plants, these fungus, fungi, um, expand our, our level of awareness and, and, the, and they can expand our consciousness. And for some people, they have, you know, deeply profound experiences and sometimes deeply spiritual experiences connecting to themselves in ways that they that they have been craving and longing for. Um, but they can also be very beneficial in the sense that you can, uh, for, for, those of, for those people that are out there that, that struggle with debilitating anxiety or uh, struggle with really deep depression, uh, these, uh, these really can act as a form of medicine and can be incredibly therapeutic when done in the right circumstances. So all of this is to say that next month, I am going to be taking a trip down to Costa Rica and I will be sharing that entire journey firsthand. So I'll be sharing a little bit around my prep work uh, for going down to Costa Rica. I've been doing a lot of research around how to prep for these types of experiences. So I'll be sharing my prep work for it and um, you know what I'm eating, uh, what, how I'm preparing mentally and emotionally and, and physically uh, to, to go and do this. And I'll be sharing a little bit about my journey. I'll be interviewing uh, the the CEO. The, the, the place is called uh, Rhythmia down in Costa Rica. So I'll be interviewing the, the guy that founded it. He's got an amazing story. Um, but I'll also be interviewing some of the people that that work there who will be sharing their experiences and their journeys. And, you know, I think the interesting thing is with all of this, whether you ever want to do this or not, whether you have any interest in this or no interest whatsoever, my invitation for you is that you meet all of this with an open mind. And you meet all this with not only an open mind, but an open heart. And, you know, when it comes to having an open mind, we, we hear that saying all the time. But what does it actually mean? For, for me, having an open mind means meeting things with a curiosity that we normally block ourselves from having with the judgments and the predetermined beliefs that we already have. So, you know, I, I actually, last week I, I had a call with my parents and I actually told my parents that I was going to go down and do this. And uh, it was really interesting because they, you know, they were actually quite a bit more open than I expected. I asked them if they knew what it was. My mom didn't really know, but my stepdad did. And he said, oh, that's, that's interesting. And why are you going to do that? And I said, I just want to explore it and experience it and see what it's like. And, you know, it can, it can be a very spiritual experience. And, I'm interested in just having a better understanding of what the appeal is, what the draw is, because this technology, this this medicine, this uh, you know plant or fungi has or this root, because uh, ayahuasca is is largely a root that is um, you know boiled down into a brew and combined with a, a few other substances in order to be uh, digested. But these things can be, uh, and they are a technology, right? They've been around for thousands of years and have been used uh, in many, many different ways. Not that they've got a bad rap, but I think largely people don't really understand uh, what they do. And, and, you know, oftentimes when we don't understand something, it becomes, it can be very fear-based. And a lot of these things have been presented to us in a very fear-based way. And we're starting to see, you know, decriminalization, complete de- decriminalization in places like Canada with marijuana. And, you know, these substances 
are less toxic and, and, and less harmful in some cases in the right environments uh, than things like alcohol. And, you know, alcohol is a very toxic and, and catastrophic, not catastrophic, that's a very uh, large word, but it's a, it's a very um, impactful substance on our body. And, and we know that, there, that, that any benefits, we scientifically and unequivocally know that any benefits that we can see from alcohol, like you know, the, the big popular one is when you drink red wine, there's lots of antioxidants in it. Sure, there can be antioxidants in that wine, but that is fundamentally counterbalanced by the alcohol itself, which which degenerates and destroys our uh, our cells within our body, and it's it's hard for our system to absorb. Uh, it has incredibly negative impacts on our neurology, on our you know on our uh, organ functions, and and yet it's readily accessible. Like in Alberta, where I grew up. It was accessible at the age of 18. And so you could go and drink your face off and just destroy yourself. And in fact, uh, you know, that's that's sort of like the uh, initiation for a lot of teenagers when they're when they're legal, they go out and, you know, quote unquote, get wrecked. Uh, and yet there are substances that have incredible and can have incredible healing properties that that we have sort of uh, thrown by the wayside or or labeled as um, you know, as threatening to our culture and our society. And there's many reasons for that, which I'll explore in other episodes with guests. Um, but I hope that you tag along. So if you have any questions about this journey, if you have any questions about my personal experience or why I'm doing this, I would encourage you to hit me up on Instagram at Mantalks and follow along. Uh, because I'm going to be sharing a lot there and I'd love to answer some of your questions. So follow along with that journey and I'll keep, I'll keep you posted on what's coming up next. Um, so let's dive into this episode. So today, obviously, you, you've been listening to me and you are now noticing that uh, this episode is just me today. And that happened for a number of reasons. One, uh, we had a few guests cancel this week. And so the episode that we were supposed to have going live uh, got pushed back, and I was actually supposed to do an interview today, and the guest no showed for a second time. <laughs> and so, so what do you do? What do you do when things don't unfold the way that they should? Uh, well, this episode is going to address that a little bit, and then I'm going to get into the shadow here, uh, really dominantly. But you know, there are going to be things that we can't predict in life, and largely, what happens when we uh, can't predict something and it doesn't unfold the way that we want, it can be incredibly infuriating. And this is this is all going to tie into the shadow, by the way. So our reactivity to those moments, to the uncontrolled moments that don't go the way that we want them to, the uncontrolled variables that show up and, you know, put put us off, whether, you know, a date stands us up or, uh, you know, a project that we've been working on doesn't get approved through our work environment or you know a house that we've been trying to buy doesn't work out or whatever the case is there are always going to be uncontrollable variables in our life and the challenge is is that we have the expectation or at least our brains have the expectation that we should be able to circumvent all of those unknown variables and you'll notice that a ton of mental and, and, and cognitive bandwidth is often spent and utilized 
just on trying to predict what's going to happen in the future. And this predictive method can be incredibly crippling. And so we can actually get stuck in the in, in what people refer to and what I refer to as ruminating thoughts. And so we can have these thoughts continually happening over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that sort of keep us stuck worrying about the future or looking at regrets of what we did or didn't do yesterday or the day before, things that we should have said or could have done or or like, you know, what the, all the what ifs of our past. And they get stuck trying to predict outcomes in the future. Now, our brain does this for a very real reason, right? Our brain does this because it is trying to protect us. It's trying to keep us safe from these unknown variables. But what we know for sure is that focusing in on trying to predict the future and trying to do uh, not that we should ignore the future, not that we should ignore outcomes, not that we should you know, completely negate the fact that our decisions are going to have consequences in the future. But when we fixate on uncontrollable variables, right? I think Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People put this so well. And he, he created a very simple uh, dualistic model that showed the circle of influence, which was this very small circle in the center, and then the circle of non-influence, which engulfed the other circle. And the circle of non-influence is basically this gigantic circle, this gigantic form of uh, situations and circumstances and uh, information that we have zero control over, right? When you think about how many variables in your life you literally have zero control over, it can be overwhelming, and the, the, the predilection that we have is to try and cling on to being able to directly impact those variables. And it's that clinging to the belief that we can impact the uncontrollable. Like just, just that saying is completely absurd, right? When we really look at what we're doing, we're trying to impact and influence the uncontrollable. And, and, and we spend so much time and energy there. And this is actually a huge part of what feeds into anxiety, right? Anxiety is looking into the future and worrying about a whole bunch, a large subset of data and variables and information and circumstances and fantasies and pretend, uh, pretend outcomes that maybe could happen and trying to find ways to circumvent any of it from happening at all as a means of protecting ourselves. And so what we, what we need to do is be able to not categorize, but be able to look at the things in our life and say, did I have any control over this? And if not, if not, we need to reconcile with the fact that we didn't have much control over it. And we can look at the parts that maybe we did have control over. So for example, I'll use a very specific example. Today, uh, I was supposed to have a guest show up to be on the show. I was super excited about what we were going to talk about, and they no-showed. And so I can't control what they're going to do. What I can control is following up with their booking agent and saying, hey, this is the second time that this person hasn't showed up to the show. And if it happens again, then we're not going to have them on the show. And can you give me a verified time with uh, with the guest that they can absolutely 100% commit to so that we can record this episode because now this is causing uh, challenges in my show production and in my business. 
And, and so we can control that. What the other person does with that, we have no control over, right? I have no control over what they do with that. We can see this in many, many situations in our life, in our relationship, in our work environment, the business that we're building, the, you know, the team that we're on. We can influence other people. We can influence their actions in, in positive, healthy ways uh, without needing to manipulate them or, or you know, try and get specific results out of them that, that they don't want to do. But what we can't do is, is manipulate variables that are out of our control. And there is something uh, sort of miraculous that happens when we let go of our need to control the uncontrollable. And what happens is, is that we begin to trust life again. We begin to trust in the sort of external powers that be, whatever you want to label that as, whether you call that God or the universe or life or source or just other people <laughs> and other things, uh, the ripple effect of other people, whatever you want to label that as, we begin to cultivate a relationship of trust with everything outside of us. And oftentimes, and I really want you to hear this part because this part's important and I'm going to move on. Oftentimes, our view of the external world, our view of the uncontrollable variables is a direct mirror of our belief in ourself. And what I mean by that is people who feel completely untrustworthy of the world outside of them and completely untrustworthy of the variables, the uncontrollable variables of life, the natural chaos and order of existence that is often a mirror of who they feel like they are at their core. It's often a mirror of their psychological and, and psyche, uh, the, their psychological makeup. And so when we look at the world and we start to practice having a trust in life, in the chaos of life, in the uncontrollable variables of existence, what we are actually doing is cultivating a trust and a deeper respect with the uncontrollable variables and the unknown nature within ourselves. And this leads me into the shadow. So the shadow is a construct that Carl Jung had created, uh, oh boy, I guess almost 100 years ago. Maybe not, maybe not quite 100, uh, but somewhere between 80, yeah, 80 to 70 years ago. And the shadow is really, uh, I'm just going to read you something that he wrote. The shadow is a moral problem that challenges the whole ego personality for no one can become conscious of the shadow without considerable moral effort. To become conscious of it involves recognizing the dark aspects of the personality as present and real. This act is the essential condition for any kind of self-knowledge. I'm just going to read that back again. To become conscious of it involves recognizing the dark aspects of the personality, of our personality, as present and real. And this act is the essential condition for any kind of self-knowledge. So we can see that this is essential because the, the shadow of our personality, as Carl Jung defined it, was really all of the parts of our identity, of our ego, of ourself, that we would reject, that we would re uh, avoid, that we would deny, that we dislike. And so all of those pieces, think about all of the parts of yourself 
uh, maybe some of the thoughts that you have about this, the parts of yourself that you dislike, that you feel insecure about, that you don't want people to find out about you, not just the things that you've done, but the person that you believe that you are, right? So maybe you feel insecure about your intelligence. Maybe you feel like you aren't lovable enough. Maybe you feel like you're not attractive enough. And all of these pieces, uh, all of these beliefs, all of these um, thoughts, they get stored in the shadow. And the shadow is an incredibly important part of our makeup because for some people, they will actually hide their potential in their shadow. So there actually can be some real good that comes from exploring the shadow. A lot of our hurt, a lot of our pain gets stored in the shadow. Uh, you know, if we have been abused or abandoned or, you know, we, we grew up in a household where we were neglected by our parents or we got into a relationship, you know, post-college or our first marriage that was, you know, abusive verbally or emotionally or, or maybe even physically, or we've harmed ourselves in some way through alcohol or, uh, you know, extreme uh, sort of extreme sports where we've where we've placed a lot of violence onto our body. A lot of these things are a result of not knowing the shadow part of ourselves. And so this brings me to uh, you know understanding that that this that real growth and development from from pretty much all of the psychologists, all of the spiritual teachers that I have come into contact with and read and learned from and talked to and you know been around and listened to over the last you know 12 15 years they all almost say very very similar things which is in order to cultivate more light you need to be able to work with the dark and for years we've been you know for decades and decades and decades we have tried to create a culture of working with the light of of just focusing solely on the parts of ourselves that we love, that we admire, that we you know feel good about, and then we construct an identity. We construct an identity, a character, a persona that we put out to the world that is constructed based on those quote unquote good parts or good qualities. And you know, we we see this, <laughs> we see this in the world, right? We have light workers and energetic workers and energy healers and things like chakra aligning and Reiki and all that other kind of stuff. They can have their own benefits. This isn't to knock it. This isn't to put them down, right? For some people, those those are incredible gifts. But for many people, it actually hasn't gotten them the results that they've been looking for. Why? Well, because the majority of people. Uh, for the majority of people, it's not necessarily their connection with the light that is broken. It's that they are consumed in some way by their own personal darkness. And they are consumed by their pain, by their inner critic, by their abandonment and the trauma that they experience. They're consumed by the feeling of not being good enough. And a lot of these things happen in the subconscious and unconscious mind. And so this, the, the unconscious mind are things that like, the, here's the way that I look at it. The conscious mind are, is all the things that we know we know. So we know all of these things and we know that we know it, right? We look at it and we're like, yep, I know that my name is Connor. Boom. I know that uh, this thing sitting on my desk is called a book. Okay, great. I know that I know that. 
Next is the subconscious mind. There's some things that we know we don't know, right? And they're kind of murky and maybe we can pull them up into the conscious mind and they can, they can very quickly move into uh, things that we know. But then there's the unconscious mind. And if you've ever seen a diagram of the psyche, what you've probably seen is a diagram of an iceberg where the conscious mind is this little piece of ice sticking out of the water. And it's probably, you know, accounts for probably like five to 10% of the iceberg that's sticking out of the water. And that's the top. And that's the consciousness that we see. And then underneath the water, we see this massive, massive chunk of ice that represents the unconscious mind. And being able to dive into some of these unconscious uh, processes and dive into some of the unconscious beliefs and structures is really what shadow work is all about. And so one of the things that we have to understand is, is because uh, not only because we've tried to work with the light for so long that we've sort of forgotten about facing the darkness, but this is actually the part that, that most people need. You know, like when, when guys come to a men's weekend or guys come to work with me one-on-one, you know, they've read the books, they've done the programs, they've, they've gone through uh, the work of, you know, gratitude journaling a few times a week and being thankful for the things that they have in their life. And it's just not enough. And what it's because what most people need to be given are the tools to go on a real hero's journey or heroine's journey and face their own internal dragons, to face their shadow. Because the dragons that we have within our style, within ourselves, whatever you want to call them, whether you call them dragons or demons or sins or however you label them, these are the parts that we need to be able to face and commune with and create a relationship with and understand and listen to, to literally sit down and listen to. And for some of them, we need to be able to set boundaries with them. And when we are able to face our inner critic, when it's, when it's at its pinnacle, and, and really have the courage to tell it to shut up or to tell it to calm down or to be able to listen to why it's criticizing you and where that, where that criticism has come from, what, what its origin story is and why it's so powerful and so strong. It's incredibly healing. And sometimes it's not sexy to do that work or even remotely spiritual, but it's being able to face the ghosts of your alcoholic father and tell him to go fuck himself, right? In, the, in, a, in a healthy way, not in an angry way, like you're out to get him, but it, it's in a therapeutic environment, feeling into the anger that you had as a kid when he abused you or abandoned you and being able to give that anger and that sadness a voice so that you can process it and, and being able to tap into the parts of yourself that you have automatically believed for so long. To be able to look at the unconscious beliefs of why you feel like you're not good enough and why that story has become so pervasive in your life and to be able to question it and begin to write a new story. So how do we identify the shadow? I'm gonna give you a few points of how we can identify the shadow within our psyche. And if you have a pen and paper, you might want to write these things down. If you don't, that's okay. Take notes on your phone uh, or just bookmark this on the podcast and you can come back to it. So number one, 
uh, and just just for just so you know, rather than confronting something that that we don't mi- like, our our minds pretend generally that it doesn't exist. And that's, again, what creates the shadow. So aggressive impulses, taboo mental images, whether those are sexual or non-sexual, shameful experiences that you've had in your past, whether it's with your family or, you know, shameful sexual experiences or, you know, shameful uh, and embarrassing experiences in sports or at school, uh, immoral urges, things that you that you have been told, whether through religious ideologies or from your parents or from your school, you have these immoral urges. Uh, those can create the shadow fears, irrational wishes, unacceptable sexual desires. These are just a few examples of the shadow aspects. So things that people that people contain but do not admit to themselves that they actually have within them. And so the more that we reject these parts, the more chaos that they have. So the simplest example that I can give you just before I dive into this, and, and this is really important. Imagine that you are sitting at the head of a giant table, okay? You are sitting at the head of the giant table, and that's the, the quote-unquote real you. And at the table are all the different versions of yourself. So there's five-year-old you, and nine-year-old you, and you know, angsty 14 and 15-year-old you, and there's the critic version of you, and then there's the sabotager version of you, and there's the lazy, lethargic version of you that never wants to get up and go to the gym, and all of those parts are all seated at the table. Now, uh, there, there's also the parts that are lust-filled, and there's also the parts that have these you know, seemingly immoral urges. Uh, they're all sitting at the table. And if you are sitting at the head of the table and they all they all take your orders, sort of say, right? They all listen to you to some degree because you are the boss. You are sort of uh, the leader of the table. And you communicate with all of these people at the table. Imagine that half of the table you deny exists. You refuse to talk to those people at the table. You don't give them a voice. You don't listen to what they have to say. You don't allow them to speak what's true for them. You don't understand why they're there. And you pretend to ignore their very existence. Now, imagine if those those parts of yourself that you're ignoring are little kids, right? What happens when we ignore little kids? They throw tantrums. They create a ruckus. They throw things. They get super volatile. You know, they can they can go and sit in the corner and not want to talk to anyone. They can get super isolated and insular and and have extreme, you know, social challenges and dealing with everyone else that's at the table. And so suddenly all of these parts of you that are a part of you, because all of these parts are definitely a part of you, they become volatile and hostile and reactive and they start to rebel and they start to try and overthrow the, the, the sort of proverbial government of you. They start to try and take control and take power because they've been ignored. 
And it seems so simple to such a complex, seemingly complex issue, because when we're in the throes of feeling completely overrun by our inner critic or completely overrun by our sabotager that's continuing to drink or eat that garbage, you know, uh, junk food late at night or binge watch Netflix when we have work to do or, you know, hit the snooze alarm five or six times when we want to go to the gym. When we completely ignore these parts, they start to take over and they start to have more power than we do. They start to have more power than the healthy, uh, quote unquote, light parts of ourselves, the healthy parts of ourselves, simply because we have ignored them and we haven't listened to them and they have become very reactive and they are rebelling against us. And so our job as men and women, modern men and women of today, is not to be light workers, but to be warriors of the dark, to be warriors of the shadow, to be able to say, I have the strength to face my own darkness. And this can be terrifying for some of us, because for some people, we have a belief that our darkness, our sadness, our pain, our trauma, our anger, our rage is so big, we can feel so much of it in our body that we don't know if it's containable. We actually consciously don't know if if we face it, that we will win or not, or it will overtake us. But when we're in that space, we can kind of see that maybe it's already overtaken us. And it's not to submit to it. It's not to become a victim to it. It's simply to say, at some point, I'm going to choose to have the uh, empowerment and the strength, whether it's me working with uh, you know a group of people through group therapy or you know going to uh, something like the men's weekend or working one on one with someone, I'm going to face this darkness. And here's the thing: here's the real big caveat: is that if you want the life that that you ultimately desire, if you want true, authentic connection, if you want to be successful and fulfilled with the success that you're generating. If you want to have a deeply fulfilling relationship that that isn't marred and and completely dragged down by incessant conflict and headbutting and arguing, it requires you, not your partner, you to do the work to be able to face this darkness that's within you and it's unfreaking pleasant for quite a while because it is the battle. And it's the battle that we as men are being tasked with in our modern culture. We have had a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and anger and confines and, and rules passed down to us that have caused a tremendous amount of suffering to us and the people that are around us, men and women alike. And so we are the ones that have to take a stand to end the passing on of generational trauma. And this generational trauma is being passed on simply because people are scared shitless to face their shadow. They are terrified to turn towards and start to communicate with the darker parts of themselves because no one's given them permission, right? Think about the upbringing that you probably went through when you were angry as a kid and lashed out and, you know, or you were really sad and you started crying and you heard messages like, hey, big boys don't cry, real men don't cry, or, 
you know, uh, you don't express your anger like that. Only do it like this, or only, you know, only do it in the in the private of your of your own room, or what what whatever ne- messages and narratives you got as a kid that were so restrictive emotionally, and and maybe you were you were taught that your anger is bad or wrong, and so you've hit it. You've hit it away from the world, and it seems to pop up in these in these you know very uh, unwanted places. So what we're being called to do is to face our darkness, to face our shadow. So let's talk about identifying our shadow. I know I kind of got sidetracked there, but I, I feel like that's incredibly important for all of us to understand. So first and foremost, here are some examples of common shadow behaviors. Uh, number one. They point out one's own insecurities as flaws in another. So this, this is another way of, of saying uh, projected. So the internet is sort of notorious for hosting this, right? Uh, you can look at any comment sections on Facebook or Reddit or YouTube, and you'll, you'll find no shortage of trolls calling the author or the, you know, the, the, the video host, uh, or other commentaries, stupid or morons or idiots, or, you know, just like less politically correct things like retarded or, you know, assholes or, uh, what's beta cucks. I think that's a, that's a pretty popular one. Beta cucks. Uh, it's a very, uh, right wing thing to say libtards, I think is another one. And you, you know, you gotta get a kick out of some of these freaking names. Uh, so you can, you can see, you can see all these things being played out in mainstream media. And ironically, internet trolls are some of the most insecure people of all because they've removed the actual social, uh, the actual social interaction, right? The majority of those people, like 99% of those people would never say shit like that in real life. But because there's a computer screen in front of them, there's a certain liberty and freedom that they don't believe that there's any form of consequence to that. And oftentimes there, there isn't. Uh, next, there's a tendency to harshly judge others, especially if that judgment comes on an impulse. So you can hear the reactivity in this. So you may have caught yourself doing this once in a while, whether it's with your partner or with your friends, and you've, you know, you've pointed out to one of them how ridiculous someone else's outfit looks like or what, how, how absurd a career choice they made. You know, maybe they quit their job to go and, and be a life coach and you think that's the dumbest thing that they've ever done. But deep down, you would hate to be singled out this way. You'd hate to be judged in this way. So doing it to another person reassures that you are smart enough not to take the same risks as another person. So this this judgment is often a form of moral and intellectual or spiritual superiority. And we pass judgment on others to make ourselves feel better in some way, and that is another form of the shadow. Uh, next is a quick temper with people in subordinate positions of power. So where there is a hierarchy or where you feel like there is a hierarchy, having a very quick temper. So sometimes this can show up uh, with our children. Sometimes this can show up with our spouses or within the work environment. And, you know, I would see this all the time when I worked at Apple. And it is really one of the biggest challenges in the customer service industry is that you are in a position of service. And the customers that come in can have an, an immense superiority complex where they feel like you are there at their beck and call. And sometimes their shadow will get 
you know, real nasty and lash out and call you names and say things that are inappropriate. And it's really an exercising of power over another. And that's the shadow's way of compensating for one's feelings of helplessness in the face of a greater force. So when you notice your reactivity, when you notice your quick temper to happen, it's usually a really great indicator that your shadow has taken over and and you're acting in a more unconscious way, right? You're not really, and we can, you know, we can hear this in the dialogue that we use, right? Oh, I got, I got flooded or, you know, I became super reactive or I just quote unquote lost it, right? That's one of my favorites. I just lost it. What did you lose? Well, I guess I lost my conscious decision-making process. Yeah, absolutely. You lost the ability to intuitively and intellectually deal with a specific person or problem or situation, and you handled it in an unconscious way. You lost it. And so when we, when we do that, we can see that the shadow has taken over. Another one is frequently playing the victim in every situation. Uh, <laughs> this, this one, I think, drives a lot of people crazy, right? Uh, so for some people, their shadow is going to f- show up in a more dominant way. And for other people, they're going to show up in a more submissive way. So for some people, they're going to play the victim of a situation. They're going to play the victim in their relationship and in their work environment. And they're going to constantly, rather than admit where they have been wrong, they'll go to incredible, incredible lengths to sort of paint themselves as this innocent, poor person who has done nothing wrong. And they sort of portray themselves as saintly, you know, or godlike, that they that they've done nothing wrong. They have no part in it. And we can see this when relationships really start to break down, right? We can see this when one partner uh, it completely blames the other person for the dysfunction in the relationship. And here's the thing. Some people are smart enough to be like, oh, I know I have a part in this. And when you push them a little bit further and you say, okay, what's your part? Really own it. Really own your part in the dysfunction of the relationship. Uh, You'll notice that people can become very reactive in that space or they won't want to own what's theirs or they'll own what their part is, but very quickly turn to, yeah, but my partner uh, is worse because of this. Yeah, but I only did that because he or she said this or did this. And everything goes back to the other person and you can hear the victimhood coming out. And so that's another part of the shadow. Next is uh, a willingness to step on others to achieve one's own end. So this is pretty simple. You can hear this as a willingness to use other people. Uh, oftentimes, you know, people will celebrate their own greatness without acknowledging times that they may have uh, cheated or taken advantage of others to get their own success. And you can see this happen on a micro level uh, for people via when, when, when people actually compete for a position, uh, either in a work environment or you know, within, a, within a, a, a business hierarchy or even within a relationship. Sometimes people, to get their own needs met, feel like they are uh, in competition with their partner. And they will do whatever it takes in order to get their own needs met. And sometimes it's very unhealthy, shadow-based way. Uh, next is they have a, uh, a messiah complex. And some people will take on the perspective that they are, quote-unquote, so enlightened that they can do no wrong. And they, they sort of construe everything. They, they create this picture that they, everything that they do is in an effort to help or save or uh, 
allow others to see the light, right? Coming back to light working. And this is, this is a perfect example of spiritual bypassing, uh, which is another example of the shadow. And I'm not going to get into spiritual bypassing here, but it's a big one. So if you want to know more about that, let me know, and I'll do a specific mini episode on that. And lastly, they have very unacknowledged biases and, and prejudices. So one of the biggest ways for us to be able to uh, tap into tap into our shadow is to notice our reactivity and our reactive our reactivity to people, our reactivity to their decisions, their choices, who they are, how they show up in the world. And anytime that we're reactive, our shadow is at play. There's a great quote by Herman Hess, and he said, if you hate a person, you hate something in them that is a part of yourself. What isn't part of ourselves doesn't disturb us. And so in this way, we can see that whenever we look at someone else and we have a massive amount of judgment or we become resentful towards them, there is something within us that identifies with what what they're doing, what they're saying, what they're going through. So the origins of our shadow, I think we've kind of gone over that, but just to touch base, our society teaches us that certain behaviors, emotional patterns, sexual desires, lifestyle choices are inappropriate. And these inappropriate qualities are usually those that disrupt the flow of a functioning society, even if that disruption means challenging people to accept things that make them uncomfortable. And anyone who is too challenging becomes an outcast and you know, pretty much everyone else moves on. And so a, a huge part of the shadow creation is simply in these parts that we reject. So how do we start to work with it? How do we start to work with the shadow? As Carl Jung said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And oftentimes, now this isn't his quote anymore, but oftentimes that fate we call unhealthy, we call unwanted, we call chaotic, right? And, and we wonder why we've got this fate that we don't want. And it's because our unconscious is really running the show. And so Jung's proposed solution, the way that he, that he proposed, you know, sort of integrating and understanding this, uh, you know, sort of schism between the conscious mind and the unconscious shadow for the individual is to is to start to do shadow work and this is a huge part of what we do at the men's weekend it's really all about shadow work and we start to integrate the parts of ourselves that we have uh, repressed uh, because what we repressed never stays repressed it lives on in the unconscious and it still dictates our thoughts like think about your thoughts for a second just take a moment and take a deep breath And notice for a second the thoughts that come up. Are you creating them or are they creating themselves? Maybe some of your thoughts you're creating and maybe some of your thoughts create themselves and they just sort of pop up and maybe you just had a judgment pop up of what the hell is he talking about or I don't like the idea of that and that just sort of arose from within you. So that's the unconscious mind. It's always going. It's always creating. And despite what our egos would have us believe, the unconscious mind is really the one running the show. And 
our shadow is in the unconscious. So we need to be able to start to turn towards that unconscious and face it and integrate it and learn from it, not become it, not embody it, not let it run the show and, and take power even more, but, but being able to uh, understand it and work with it. Carl Jung said, filling the conscious mind with ideal conceptions is a characteristic of Western theosophy, but not the conf- confrontation with the shadow and the world of darkness. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. And that's from Carl Jung, The the Philosophical Tree, uh, Alchemical Studies from 1945. So shadow work is really the process of making the unconscious conscious. And in doing so, we gain awareness of our unconscious impulses and can then choose whether and how, whether or not and how to act on them. And we begin this process uh, when, when we actually take a step back from our normal patterns of behavior and observe what's happening within us. So rather than just letting those things go on unconsciously and automatically and not necessarily being in the driver's seat, but being beholden to just whatever is happening, we take a step back and start to observe what's happening. And that's the process of meditation. And meditation is really designed. It's a technology. Meditation is a technology that is designed to help us cultivate the ability to step back from ourselves and witness the unconscious mind constantly spewing data and information and thoughts and emotions and conversations up into our conscious mind with the goal being the ability to to gain and to do uh, this in such a way where we don't become attached to everything that's popping up in our mind, right? Because often what happens is that our shadow will be running and it'll be, you know, giving us uh, maybe it'll be criticizing us for something that we did or didn't do, or you know, maybe it'll be telling us that we shouldn't do something that we know in our gut, in our in our intuitive mind is right. But if we aren't aware that that's happening, if we're not taking a step back and noticing that that's happening, then we're beholden to it. We're just doing it. We're just going on autopilot. So the next step is that we actually have to question. We have to observe that this process is happening. And the next step is we have to question because when we observe ourselves overreacting to psychological triggers or to our partner, you know, doing or saying something in our event or events that prompt an instant and uncontrolled reaction from us, we have to learn how to pause and ask ourselves, why am I reacting in this way? You know, Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, Meaning, he said, uh, between stimulus and response, there is a pause. And so between our partner saying something and us flying off the handle, or between our boss uh, giving us feedback and us completely shutting down and just shitting all over ourselves mentally and emotionally, there's a pause to be able to take a step back and say, why am I reacting this way? Does this serve me? And if not, being able to shift and choose something different, being able to say, okay, clearly I'm meant to learn from this. So we need to be able to identify triggers, and which can be a difficult process, and, and something I encourage. All of this shadow work, I encourage you to find someone who specializes this. This is the work that I do. 
this is the this is the realm of of my uh, my love. I love doing this. Uh, if you can't tell, uh, but find someone who who really is able to work with the shadow, because most of our habits are unconscious processes that are unfolding. If you look at things like uh, addiction, whether it's to technology or alcohol or drugs or porn or unhealthy eating or binge watching or distracting ourselves, those addictions are created in the unconscious mind to solve a problem that is also in the unconscious mind oftentimes. And so if we really want to change our lives, if we really want to create lasting shifts uh, in, in, in our relationships and in our finances and in our business, it requires us to be able to do deep shadow work. So I'll leave you with one last piece, which is if you want to save the world, tend to your shadow, face your darkness. So here's a, one last quote from Carl Jung. He says, if you can imagine someone who is brave enough to withdraw all his projections, then you get an individual who is conscious of a pretty thick shadow. Such a man has saddled himself with new problems and conflicts. He has become a serious problem to himself as he is now unable to say that they do this or that, they are wrong, and they must be fought against. Such a man knows whatever is wrong in the world is in himself. And if he only learns to deal with his own shadow, he has done something real for the world. He has succeeded in shouldering at least an infinitesimal part of the gigantic, unsolved social problems of our day. And that's from Psychology and Religion, 1938 from Carl Jung. So we can see that our, our work, our war, our battle as men, as women, as leaders, as fathers and husbands, as sons and daughters of people who were unconscious to their shadow and beholden to them, our work is to buck that trend and to start to face our own darkness and to start to communicate with it and work with it and integrate it and bring all of the dredges of the unconscious mind that are that are surely leading us in ways that we haven't yet even discovered into our consciousness so that we can work with it and heal ourselves and heal our families and heal our communities and our work environments and the work and the world around us because we will not be acting in such unconscious mindless ways where we are hurt and we pass that hurt on. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with yours truly. I would encourage you to man it forward and share this episode with one person who's interested in shadow work, who's interested in some of the topics that we that I spoke about today. Uh, please leave me a rating and review. It goes a long way uh, in getting this podcast into the, uh, into the ears and onto the phones of other people. And message me and let me know what stood out for you about this specific episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, definitely tag me on whatever platform you share your episode on. I'd love to give you a shout out. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. 